0: That's who he is, amen. We agree with that in this place tonight. Would you pray with me right now? And and as we just take a moment to pray, I just, I was, as we're singing that song tonight, the, the words that he's mending hearts, just that single line stood out to me. And Lord Jesus, tonight I pray that you would mend hearts, that you would mend brokenness, that you would heal. Fractures that you would fix things that have that have been disrupted, Lord. I pray that tonight you would create space in people's hearts for you to move, and that that you would you would perform miracles in our lives, Lord. I pray for people that we know right now. I, I can't I can't sing this song and not stand here and say, Lord, would you do some miracles? I think all of us in this room know somebody somewhere that needs a miracle right now. And Lord, we pray right now in your powerful name that whatever this is, and I just encourage you with this, if there's somebody that you need to pray for right now for a miracle, I just offer that name up right now and just say, Lord, would you heal this person? Would you work in this person's life? Would you turn their story around? Would you do that? Lord, I know that right now all of us in this room are lifting up names and people to you that we believe you can change the course of their life and we ask for that lord we ask that you would perform miracles we love you lord we are so grateful that we get to walk this life and journey through our days knowing you that's why we worship you lord because you are so good to us tonight lord i pray that you speak to us through your word i pray that you'd encourage us i pray that our faith would grow i pray that we would learn things about you about ourselves. And I pray that when we walk out of this place a little while later, that we would be healthier, that we would be more whole, that we would be more loving, more peaceful, more joyful than the moment we walked in today. We thank you, Jesus. And we pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. As you're grabbing a seat tonight, uh, there's something, I haven't mentioned this uh, very many weeks um, recently, but uh, for obvious reasons, we have not been passing the baskets for offering and for tithes and offering during the service. Um, and I've had several people say, is there a way to give in the room? And there are towers at different points at the back of the room that if you ever just, if, if as an act of worship, there's something for you like physically bringing an offering, um, I just wanna let you know that those are there so that when you're leaving, you can you can pause for a moment and you can give that way. And uh, if you like giving online and that works for you, that's also always an option for you. But I just wanted to mention that because I've had a couple of people ask about that recently and I wanted to just highlight that, that we're not we're not, try- we're, we're not passing the offering or we're not passing COVID. That's basically what we decided to do. So, Um, Now, if you have your Bible, I want you to open up to Leviticus chapter 23. We're going to dive right in tonight. Leviticus 23. Uh, For those of you that are maybe new with us, maybe you're just joining us, we are looking at the Old Testament book of Leviticus. We're coming into the final stretch of this book. Um, Leviticus was the handbook for the ancient Hebrews and their sacrificial system. That was the point of this book. Um, Now, but what we've been discovering through this whole process is that the whole Bible, the whole, uh, all of the Bible in its entirety seems to be telling the story of Jesus. It points to Jesus in, in every aspect of it, in every corner. We can always seem to find Jesus in the entire Bible, which means that even though this book was rendered useless, and I don't know that we think about this, but Leviticus for the Hebrew people, when the destruction of the temple happened in AD 70, basically they looked at the book of Leviticus and said, well, what good is that anymore? because it was rendered useless in that moment because it was a handbook for the sacrificial system. But what we've been discovering is that there is this secondary and even more meaningful layer that emerges from its pages the more you begin to dive into it. And it's been this surprisingly relevant, surprisingly challenging, and surprisingly Jesus-centered book that we find in the Old Testament. So today we're in chapter 23, and I think the timing of this is really interesting. And as I was thinking about that this week, I I just realized that this might be a good time for us to dive in to this particular message tonight, because we're in a really strange moment. There, there's a deep longing in our world right now for, for things to get back to normal. Um, there, there's this sense for us. I think everyone I talk to, it's like we're, we're kind of done. After 14 months of a pandemic, uh, I, can, can we all just say like we're done, We're done with it all? And so there's this desire inside of us that says, "I want things to. I want life to get back to normal because we had patterns of behavior, right? And those patterns of behavior they've been broken, or or we had rhythms to our life. We had a way that we went through our days, and we were really good at it. Some of us, some of us, maybe we were drowning in it, but but we had a rhythm to our life that we had, and that rhythm was disrupted. And so there's this effort, I think, in a lot of our hearts, at least, and I think in a lot of our own lives, our, our behavior, to try to reconstruct things and to try to get things back." To, to, to normal, but as we're restructuring our lives, and I've just, I just found myself looking back and reflecting on the way I was living 14 months ago and the way I'm living today, and as I'm looking to the future, I'm thinking, are there things that I need to not go back to? Are there rhythms? Are there patterns of behavior? Were there, were there ways that I was doing things that actually, as I'm reconstructing and getting back to normal, is there a healthier version of normal. Are there some things that should be worked into the rhythm of my life that actually are more life-giving because when I do look back to the old normal, I was pretty tired. <laughs> and I didn't have a lot of downtime. And I was always running. Anyone else feel that way like when you look back with honesty and you look back at those days like we have found some moments to pause over the last 14 months. And so maybe what we're looking at tonight is going to inform the way we construct our lives in the days ahead. So If you have your Bible, I want to start reading in verse 1 of chapter 23. Verse 1 of chapter 23 says this. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. So, tonight, what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about festivals. In fact, chapter 23 presents seven specific special days, or what the Hebrews referred to as appointed feasts. That's what the, the word is that they're using here. Now, what's fascinating about all of this is that the word appointed before the word feast is the Hebrew word moed. And the word moed means season or appointed time as it's translated here. A moed was a season. But this is what's really fascinating about this moed, moed festivals. The first time that the word moed is used in the Bible was during the creation account in the book of Genesis on day four of creation, and it's in reference to the the sun and to the moon and the stars. In other words, moed was being used in reference to the celestial bodies that determine or define time and tides And seasons and rhythms. So the word moed, when he says these moed it has something to do with time, and it has something to do with season, it has something to do with rhythm. So there's this predictable nature to this word, something as predictable as the moon and the sun and the stars. And it's not just the time and the seasons, but it also is speaking of a regularity of these things. It speaks to a pattern or a rhythm, and it's really important that we start to think through this. The word moed is developing patterns or rhythms in the lives of people. So you think about patterns and you think about rhythms and what do they do? If you're following a pattern and you're sewing something or you're painting something or if you're following a rhythm when you're playing music, a rhythm guides you. A pattern guides you. Um, They keep us on pace. They help us know where we're headed. They inform us in the middle of a moment. They tell us we're on the right track. We're doing the right things. So chapter 23 of Leviticus God is saying there are certain rhythms that I want a part of your life. And the point of these moeds is to help us synchronize with this, pardon this, or just lean into this for a moment, to synchronize with this song that is being sung at a whole different level in our world. There's like this tune that's going that so many people were just sort of moving through our days and we're not, we're not hearing the tune that's, that's being played. And so the purpose of the Moeds is so that we can can lean in and we can be a part of the rhythm of this other song that's being sung. So each of these seven feasts that are presented in Leviticus chapter 23, they're accompanied by an explanation of what is supposed to take place during these festivals. It would be a party, a festival, a feast that they would have. And the point of each feast was to renew your allegiance to God. Every time we encounter one of these, we renew our allegiance to God to reflect on who he is and to celebrate what he has done. That's the point of all seven of these feasts. These appointed days are about stepping deeper into the song that God is singing or the story that he is telling. That's what they're about. So what do we see with these rhythms? What do we see with these moeds and these seasons? What's actually happening? Or maybe the better question for tonight is to see what's not happening. Happening? What is not happening in these feasts? So the first one is very unique from all the others. I'll say this that of the seven, the first one that's mentioned is very different um, because it's practiced far more frequently and it seems to influence all of the other ones that would follow. So in verse three, we read this it says, Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all of your dwelling places. So Moed number one, or pattern number one, is the pattern of the Sabbath. We have this pattern of the Sabbath, and the Sabbath is characterized by one big idea, that you're going to work six days, and then on the seventh day, you're taking the day off. That's what basically this means, right? You shall do no work. In other words, on that seventh day, you need to take a seat. (laughs) You just need to sit down and quit all your work and just... Sit, just sit there. And and, and here's what's interesting. The idea of taking a seat is then repeated through the rest of the feast. So we have this weekly rhythm that's being presented and then the other six feasts that are presented in Leviticus chapter 23, every one of them includes this aspect of taking a seat. You need to sit, you need to rest in this way. Notice in verse seven, another, another feast, it says in verse seven, on the first day you shall have a holy convocation, you shall do no ordinary work. And then notice verse 21, the ne- another feast. And you shall make a proclamation on the same day. You shall hold a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It is a statute forever in all of your dwelling places throughout all your generations. You go to the next feast. Part of the details of the next one, verse 25. You shall do no ordinary work and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. Go to the next feast in the middle of the instructions. You see it again, verse 28. You shall not do any work on that very day for it is a day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. Verse 35, another one of these. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no ordinary work. When you see something being repeated like this, do you start to get the sense that maybe God is trying to make a point? (laughs) You do, right? I mean, he is, right? So, so, so part one, on one day of the week, you're going to take a seat, do no work. And then every time you celebrate these feasts, you're going to do no work. You're going to take a seat. So, so this is going to happen every week. And then six other times during the year, you're going to have these, these festivals where you just don't work. And this rhythm is being instructed into their lives. And I know what some of you are already thinking. You're already looking for a loophole in this. Like, well, how do we get out of this one, right? Because we say things like this. You don't understand. If you're an accountant, when tax season comes along, you can't take a rest. You can't take a break. There is no Sabbath, right? Or when school is in session, right? You can take a Sabbath in the summer, but you can't do it when school's in session. Or when you have to report earnings at work, and there's all the paperwork that needs to be filled out, and all the reports that need to be filed, everything, all of those things. Like, you don't understand. You can't do this. Or, Or when I have a big project that needs to be done. Like, you don't understand. You have to understand that there are times when it's not possible to do this. That's the kind of thing we think, right? But then you turn over to to Exodus chapter 34 and listen to this. It says, six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest time you shall rest. So God says, I know you. I know you. I know you look for loopholes in what I'm telling you. I know you think that I, I, I'm offering you the best, but you think there's another way. I know that there are busy seasons when you know you can make more money. I know, and I know how you're hardwired. So he says, even during harvest, so, so in, other words, in other words, even when work is busy, even when there's so much money to be made, even when your boss is telling you, right? Even when you aren't going to work. So maybe you ask, well, then how serious is God about this? (laughs) I don't like telling these stories, but we're gonna do this one. Numbers chapter 15. It says, while the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. And they put him in custody because it hadn't been made clear what should be done to him. And the Lord said to Moses, the man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, was God fuzzy on the details about the command that he gave in Leviticus? Not at all, right? I don't want you doing work on this day. I mean, somewhere around 35 times in the Old Testament, we're told to do no work in this way so that we can rest and reflect on God's glory over and over again. The Torah, the prophets, all throughout the Old Testament, again and again, it says, take one day and do no regular work. And then we have a guy collecting wood on the Sabbath and God makes a pretty big deal about this we get a pretty clear message that God isn't messing around when it comes to the Sabbath. But I also get this. I also get the sense because of who God is and what I know to be true of him that there must be something deeper and there must be something larger. There is a a greater theological current that is flowing that drives God's command other than just you really should take some time off and I'm serious about that. There's gotta be more than this. Like I appreciate the idea that God wants to give me a break or a vacation day every week But there has to be something else going on here. Like what we just read in Numbers, this must be pointing to more than just the the desperate need for you and I to have a day off. So if you turn over to Exodus chapter 20, we're going to look at a few insights um, into what may be going on or what God seems to be doing in this Sabbath. Exodus chapter 20 is the list of the Ten Commandments. And it begins with God spoke these words. And then in verse 8, we discover the fourth commandment, which is the Sabbath. That's the commandment that God gives in that moment. So check this out. Verse 8, it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, And rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Do you notice what he did there? God says, "I want you to do what I did. I want you to do what I did. I worked and then I rested, and I want you to work and then I want you to rest." That's what verse eleven is saying. So so now let's look at Genesis chapter one where this event took place. It says that God created and then he rested. There's this fascinating verse at the end of the first chapter of the first book of the Bible. Um, God has created everything and then he makes a statement and it sheds light on what might be going on with this whole Sabbath thing. It says in verse 31 of chapter one of Genesis, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. You ever done that? You ever, you ever made something? You ever worked on something? And then you took a step back and you looked at it and you went, huh, that's not bad. A uh, few, few months back, um, my wife and one of my daughters decided that, that I would remodel one of our bathrooms. Notice, I didn't decide that I was remodeling one of my bathrooms. They did, and I heard hammers pounding, and I went downstairs, and they were literally ripping out the bathroom, and I said, so we're doing this now, I, and, and they said, yes, you are. And so, uh, so we, we dove into it, and, and I noticed, I said a couple of months, um, not a lot of margin in my schedule, and so I've just been sort of, you know, ticking away at it, doing little things here and there, but last week I finished. Do you know how many times in the last week I've just gone downstairs to the basement, and I've turned on the light, and I've just stood and I've nodded and I've thought, not bad. Not bad for a guy who's not a contractor, right? There's some mistakes, but I look at it and I'm like, hmm, it is really good. And I just take it in, right? When I read this in Genesis chapter 1, that's what I see God doing. God makes it and then he sits back and goes, that's not bad. That's pretty good. I like what I did there, right? God looked at what he created. He separated light from darkness and he, the, the order from the chaos, the land from the sea. And then he said, that's pretty good. But then notice the next thing that happens in verse one of chapter two. Thus the heavens and earth were finished and all the host of them and on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he'd done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So now let's go back to Exodus chapter 20. Do you sense in the language of Genesis that God enjoyed what he created? He did, right? You, you absolutely see this. It's almost like, like God spent a day reflecting and enjoying what He created. For him, for him to, to enjoy what He created, he had to have uh, time to inspect it, right? he must have somehow stood back and said, that's amazing. So there's this sense in Genesis chapter one that God took a specific day, the seventh day, and he just reflected and he remembered what he had done and he simply enjoyed it. So let me give you the first of three big ideas that I'm going to give you tonight. The first one is this, that God rested. It's really important that we catch this. God rested and so, so in Exodus chapter 20, I want you to notice this. He doesn't actually start with the, with the first commandment. When you read it there, the first commandment actually comes in verse 3. I want you to notice what happens in verse 2. Before he gives the Ten Commandments, God says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Out of the house of slavery. So before God, and this is really important for us to get this psychologically in our minds and in the way we think about God. Before God gives them the 10 commandments that always get all the attention, he reminds them that he brought them out of slavery. I brought you out of slavery. And if you know that story, you also know this. They didn't do anything to earn that deliverance From slavery. There was nothing like in their behavior or character that God looked down and said, well, you are really great people. I'm gonna do this for you. That doesn't exist. There was nothing in their own effort that made it happen. There was nothing that they did to liberate themselves from slavery. It was all a work of God's grace and God's mercy. That's how they were delivered. So when God gives them these commands, he starts by saying, guys, but before I tell you some things that are absolutely the best for you, I wanna remind you of what I've done for you. Let me remind you that I did the work And I released you. I rescued you. Um, And just kind of side note here there's this idea that the Old Testament is law and that the New Testament is grace. Like that the Old Testament is all about you shouldn't do this and you should do this and you shouldn't do that and you should do this. And and then the New Testament is like, um, God's done all that you couldn't do. But even here in the Ten Commandments, we see a statement about God's grace. And about his mercy, right? About his rescue. He says, I do the work. Even in the Old Testament, he was saying, Listen, I'm the one that does the work. It's not you that does the work. And by the way, this is where I discover my problem. I discover my problem here. Maybe you discover your problem here because I tend to be more impressed with what I do than God is. God created the universe, you know, He spun the stars into being. Do you think that when I put in a few extra hours at the office, God looks at me and goes, "Wow, look at you! Good job today." (laughs) But compared to what I did, that's a lot, Brad. Good job. We had a neighbor years ago. I don't know if maybe had the maybe you are this neighbor, but we had this neighbor that he had the perfect manicured lawn. Um, and they they didn't have any children, um, so we were the children next door, and, uh, and so this guy would spend hours and hours, you know, he would edge forever, and it was the perfect line. He was like with a chalk line out there doing things, and Uh, Every blade of grass seemed to bend the perfect way. He spent so much time, he washed off his mower every single time he would clean and wash his mower and put it in his garage. And there were times I would just look at that lawn and I would think how perfect it is. And then shortly after that, one of my children would like tumble onto it and ruin it, I'm sure, in his mind. But whenever that guy would wash his lawnmower, I think, is there a point where God just looks and goes, way to go, way to go. You worked so hard making your lawn perfect. I think we can get really enamored with our work. We can start thinking that we can do some pretty good stuff. Sometimes we start taking credit for things that we actually didn't even do. Sometimes the places where we've experienced God's grace and mercy, we somehow believe that somehow we did something to make that thing happen. So God begins the Ten Commandments by saying, can I just remind you that I rescued you? And because I did the work I want you to take one day a week and I just want you to reflect on that one day what I've done for you. On what I've done for you. So number one is that God rested, but number two is that our work is not as important as we think it is, right? And maybe when God says, I'm the one that does the work, maybe there's a really good reason for him telling us this. If you flip over to Exodus chapter 16, I know I'm jumping through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, they all weave together. But but here, God says to the people, listen, you're gonna spend some time wandering in the wilderness, and while you do, I'm gonna be the one who's gonna provide you with food But we're going to keep this rhythm going. We're going to keep this Sabbath thing going. So for for five days, God says, I'm going to provide you food for one day. Then on the sixth day, I'm, I'm going to provide you food for two days. And that way, you don't have to do any work on the seventh day at all. So on the sixth day, I'm going to give you the food for the seventh day. So so this is is the story about manna coming from heaven and this, this rhythm begins for these people. But I want you to notice in verse 27 of Exodus chapter 16, it says, On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. There was no food that was out there. And isn't that human nature, right? It's a free gift, right? If it's free, let's show up and maybe there's going to be more the next day, right? So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, even on you know, that Friday when it rolled around, they got the double portion and they still woke up Saturday morning and they went, okay, let's go out here. Let's, let's see if there's more out here. There has, to be, there has to be something that we're going to do here. But then verse 28, it says, the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain, each of you, in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. There's something, there's something disturbing here if you really reflect on this. You really think about what's happening on the seventh day when the people go out to find their bread. There's actually something deeper and more disturbing. God says, I'm gonna give you the food for, for, for two days on the sixth day. And so in in God's opinion, who provides the food? He does, right? He does this. He's saying, listen, if I say I'm going to provide you the food and you go out and you gather on the seventh day, then aren't you doubting my word? You getting up, if I give you the double amount on, on, on Friday and you wake up on Saturday and you roll out of your tent and you start looking around, isn't that right there a question of whether or not you believe I'm providing for you? Whether or not there's going to be enough? Whether or not you're going to let me be, be your provider? If you go to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus continues this thought. He's really practical. He's very specific. But in verse 25, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body and what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? From Jesus' perspective, who feeds the birds? God does, right? And are you not much more valuable than they? Notice verse 30. He says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So according to Jesus, who puts clothes on your back? God does, right? Do you, do you remember when you were told 14 months ago that you couldn't leave your house unless you were doing something essential? Do you remember that? How many? No one has that short term of a memory, right? We all remember that. Remember when grocery stores ran out of toilet paper? <laughs> I remember going to the grocery store at one point and all the beans were gone. Like just, people were choosing random items to freak out about and buy all over, just at different moments, right? Remember when your kids couldn't go to school? When your employer told you, we may not be coming back to the office for a really long time? Do you remember the feelings that you had in that moment? You remember thinking, just, Sort of this desperation. Do you remember the desperation that we felt 14 months ago? Do you remember how frustrated you were? Do you remember, do you remember the questions that you were asking about the future? Like what was going to happen? It didn't feel good because we didn't feel in control. Do you realize this? I and mean, part of what we were responding to is that up until that moment, we were all thinking we are very much in control of the food we eat and the clothes we put on our backs, the provision that we have. And we like feeling like we're in control of that. And 14 months ago, somebody told us that we weren't in control of it. And we started wondering what was gonna happen. If anyone would have told you in the first month of the pandemic that we would be dealing with it 14 months later, which none of us, none of us were saying that. We were all thinking maybe six months at the best, right? If someone would have told you that we would be this for 14 months would you ever have imagined things being like they are right now? Somebody told you 14 months ago what things were going to, that thing was going to, when you had that feeling in your gut like what's going to happen and we were running to the store and buying provisions, if someone would have told you this is going for 14 months, would you have imagined that the S&P 500 would be at an all-time high? That most people who stayed in the stock market have made loads of money because American businesses are thriving? <laughs> Would you have guessed that the housing market would take off the way that it is? That, that right now, all of us are sitting in the room going, should I sell? <laughs> should I sell? Maybe I should. This is the time to get out of this thing, right? Would you have imagined this? Would you imagine that, that we'd have cupboards with food in them? That we'd see people that have stepped up generously to provide for those that were in need and, and for other people? I mean, I know a lot of people are having their best years in business during the last 14 months when we lost control. See, what... What we just read a second ago was that bird food and Brad food, they come from the same place, right? They both come from God. They both come from him. That the clothes on my back and the clothes on yours are from him. It all rests on him. I can't look at the last 14 months and explain how we are where we are. Even as a church, I'll tell you this, the generosity at our church the numbers of people that are attending in person and online, if you would have told me we'd be here, I just, I'm blown away. We had 7,000 people participate in our service for Easter. After 14 months of being disconnected and all the different things, it's just, God is just at work. See, see my problem, my problem with resting, if I'm completely honest, is that deep down, I function in a way that says that God and I have some sort of partnership And it's like 50-50. I know he's going to do his part, but I still am functionally believing that I have to do my part. When all is said and done, I insist I must have some control in this. So God rested. And our work isn't as critical as we think it is. Why? Well, idea number three is the most important one because God controls the outcome, right? God controls the outcome. Here's here's a final thought. We'll we'll kind of close with this thought. Um, Luke chapter 10, Jesus and his disciples are traveling and in, in Luke 10 verse 38, we come across a very interesting incident. It says this, it says, As they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing's necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. So, so just a couple of observations. First of all, you know, Jesus does not condemn Martha for all of her work. He, does, he doesn't do that, right? He doesn't say, stop working, stop doing, stop, stop being busy, that that's bad. He doesn't say that to her. But he does say, I like the way Mary is sitting at my feet. I like the way that Mary understands who I am and I like the way that she's just sitting at my feet. Now, there's a part of this incident that bothers me because part of me, I want Jesus to chastise Mary, right? Come on, you need, to, you need to work, you need to labor, you need to get your hands dirty. You know, part of me wants to say that. But he says, Martha, you're distracted and Mary's got it here. Do you think God is interested in people who will slow down and sit at his feet and listen to him? I think he is. Psalm 46 says something really interesting. It says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. God says, you want to know me? Do you want to really know me? You, you want me to be made known? Oh, this, this is how you do it. You Be still. Stop for a moment. And if you do that, you'll know that I'm God and you'll see me exalted among the nations. So so is God desiring people who are sitting comfortably in his presence, people who can be quiet, people who can be still, people who can listen rather than speak, people who can stop all the work, stop the control and let God be God? Is that what he's looking for? The gospel shows us that the same God that did everything to get Israel out of slavery does everything to get us out of slavery. He gives his son to us. He gives his son. He pays the price. He does the work. The gospel is God saying every time, I've already done it. I've already done the work. The work of salvation is done. You know, every world religion, and I think it's so important that we understand this, every worldview, every spiritual understanding is fundamentally built on the opposite of the principle that we're learning here. If you cut through everything, if you cut through the pamphlets, the, the books, if you cut through all the teachings to the core of what every system is built on, it's this idea that you need to do something in order for God to accept you, that you play a role in your salvation. If you just do this or that, or, or if you complete this list or join this group or affirm these 14 statements or pick it against this group or, or, or protest that activity, then you somehow are right. But the radical message of Jesus says, the work's already been done. The work has been done. So the writer of Hebrews says, you have to understand that the Sabbath rest is a picture of the rest that we have in Jesus. And if you, if you can't get the fact that it's about God doing the work and not you, then the Sabbath is never gonna make sense and neither will salvation. How will you ever rest in your relationship with God if you're always assuming that it's about you and the work that you do? So so taking one day off each week is like acknowledging, God, I realize you are my provider and you are my salvation. Me stopping to pause and not earn or gather or do something and say no no I can I can actually take a step back and be reminded that even when my hands aren't working yours are that's what we can do in fact if you take the word Sabbath in Hebrew and you do a little study on that word um, you 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 discover that that comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat Um, Shabbat is a Hebrew word that means to cease. Or to stop. It means to discontinue what you were doing. And if you take the word Shabbat and you look at where that word comes from, it's the word Shavot. And the word Shavot literally means to sit down, to take a seat. God has defined the relationship as be still. As Mary sits at the feet of Jesus that's what I want you to do. I want you to have this rhythm of coming into his presence, sitting at his feet, and reminding yourself that he has done the work. So here's what I want us to do tonight. I want you to close your eyes with me just for a moment. And I just want you to maybe... uh, Change your seated position just a little bit. Get a little bit more comfortable. Maybe move your arms. Maybe fold your hands in front of you. Maybe just kick your legs out under the pew in front of you and just relax your legs for a moment. And I want you to take a deep breath in, just a deep in through your nose, just take a really deep breath. And then breathe it out. right there Jesus we want to rest in you this life that is so full of labor and strife we want the freedom that comes when we sit at your feet and we're reminded you do the work not me Lord, we're so grateful for your provision, for the clothes on our back, for the food that's been on our table the last 14 months, for the way that we somehow have made it through a really tough, tough year. Lord, we're grateful to you. You have done that work. And Lord, you have done all the work of redeeming our hearts and redeeming our souls. And we say thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? So tonight, as you go, may you rest in the work that God has done and may you have peace in the days ahead because of the peace and the work that he's going to do on your behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks so much for being here tonight, you guys. Thanks for being a part of this with us. And uh, feel free to hang out tonight. If you wanna pray with somebody, there's folks around that would love to pray with you. And if you wanna just talk to some friends because you haven't seen them in a while, you can do that. If you have any questions about anything Alex and Chrissy said at the beginning of the service, you can stop at the information table out in the commons. And uh, hopefully we'll see you guys back next Thursday. Thanks for being here. We love Thursday nights. It's awesome to be here. So.